This episode of the Garage Build podcast was recorded live in the Hell on Wheels Law Fran Studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or visit lawfran.com. The Fran Hosh Law Group, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for 20 years. Hello and welcome back to the Hell on Wheels Garage Built Podcast. I have missed you guys terribly. I'm sure you've missed me. Uh, it's been a minute since we did this. We went ahead and we had our show in Lakeland, the Wheels of Steel, uh, at the RP Funding Center. And we had a fantastic showing. Jeff G. Holt was here, Lefevre Cycle, John Denton from Denton Performance, Pistol Pete from Pistol Pete's Custom Motorcycles up in Wisconsin, Curtis Hoffman from Hoffman Designs, Corey Souza. Eric from FNA, my boy Fish from Alleyway Customs. We had the crew from DeHaven here. We had Casey Kiger from Crooked Clubhouse. We had all kinds of people here in the, in the in the Lakeland area for that weekend. It was an amazing weekend. I'm sorry that you guys missed it if you did not make it here. Uh, this one was recorded right around the same time as that, and I kind of put everything to bed for a minute so that I could get through the holidays and get through the new year. And we've got several uh, new episodes in the tank. I have some awesome guests coming up. I'm going to be taking a trip to Phoenix. That is a hint of who I'm going to be podcasting with. So I'll leave you there with that. In April, I'm going to be headed to Northern California. I'm sure you can guess who I'm going to sit down with there. Um, lots of stuff going on. I want to talk to some people about the Bagger Racing League. I want to talk some more about what we think is going to happen coming up here soon. We're going to be in Daytona in a few weeks. Uh, we're partnering with Source Media. I'm proud to tell you that your boy, Hala, is going to be working with Bell Helmets through 2021. I am so excited about that. You have no idea. As a kid who grew up as a sponsored BMX rider in the 80s. If you didn't have a bell helmet, you weren't shit. And so now I have a bell helmet. I'm so excited about that. So lots of other stuff going on. Of course, I want to give a shout out to those that stuck with us through 2020. The Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company, 1620 USA. My boys Jeff and Marty over at Electric Lighting and NAMS. They're still with us. Uh, as I said, we're now with Bell Helmets and I have something awesome to announce. If you haven't heard of the High Seas Rally, you have now. It is the world's only biker rally on a cruise ship, and it's been sailing since 2003. And it is an entire cruise ship full of bikers, 3,000 plus strong. The Royal Caribbean's Mariner of the Seas sails from Florida for a full week starting October 22nd, 2021. And your boy, Hala, myself, is going to be on that ship as an invited builder. I'm also going to be recording podcasts on the ship. The Garage Podcast is going to be there live. There's some, several concerts, awesome concerts. Trace Adkins, Foghat, Molly Hatchet. I've got a great Molly Hatchet story. Second concert I ever went to, 1980, Cobo Hall. On my dad's shoulders, seven years old, front row, changed my life. Made me a fan of Molly Hatchet for the rest of the days that I'm here. Killer parties, contests, games. There's going to be lots of custom builders, amazing vendors. Tom Kiefer from Franklin Church Choppers, Rick Bray from RKB Customs, myself. Xavier Muriel is the host from Providence Cycle Works, also of Buck Cherry fame. And it all supports great charitable causes. High Seas Rally Dialysis Fund and the Wounded Warrior Project. Here's the best part. Not only are you going to go to four ports in the Caribbean, party for a week with great people, casinos, all kinds of shows, things, all the requisite things that go along with being on a cruise ship, but every guest is automatically registered to win a custom 
motorcycle built by Xavier Muriel from Providence Cycle Works in Cedar Park, Texas. I've had my hands and my eyes on this motorcycle. It's rad. It is a true custom built chopper. No holds barred. He pulled at all the stops. You can go to highseasrally.com for more information or follow them online or on Instagram at High Seas Rally. Check out my page. There's information on there. It's going to be a killer rally. I'm super excited. I've never been on a cruise ship, so I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm jazzed. As always, this episode and all episodes come to you live from the law offices of Fran Hosh Studio. They do so much to help the Tampa Bay biker community. Go to lawfran.com or dial 1-866-LAWFRAN. Today's episode is with my good friend, J-Mac, or as I know him, Big Bone One Percenter online. And he and I, you know, we come from very different backgrounds. We're very different arc of where we're at in life. But we sit down and we talk about difficult subjects. And uh, I got a lot of really, really, really positive feedback from the last one that we did last summer. So we said, you know what, let's make this a regular thing. So this is going to be the usual suspects episode two with myself big bone one percenter and your boy holla went ahead and started recording we can get our okay. levels and stuff good though so yeah man i haven't um we'll go ahead and, and just kind of just kind of uh get, tell me just i guess just say your name hey i'm a uh, big bone one percenter very good good here got... in the planet of north america <laughs> pasco county right <laughs> this is pasco county isn't it yeah this is pasco yeah. pasco is funny in the sense that um it's got a weird ass time warp thing going on it over does here. like i have a uh I found a letter, so I'm adopted. I think I told you when we met before. So I found a letter from my paternal grandmother to my mother after my parents had split when I was yeah. a little kid, and it was from New- it was from Port Ritchie. Oh yeah. And so yeah. like I did the Google Earth thing, and it like where oh. she lives doesn't exist anymore. There's like not even a geotag kind of thing. Oh, wow. So I think it was like one of those deals where it was. I think she lived in like a mobile home complex yeah. that maybe was raised over and you know they built some big some big there are some big houses out this way that's, that's something that's kind of indicative of this area because like i used to live in a in a city called holiday and so i guess i don't know um 70 or so years ago <clears throat> holiday didn't exist but elfers did right so now when you if you google it or if, if you're using the zip code or whatever sometimes it'll say elfers sometimes it'll say holiday and I guess technically Elfers is about two blocks long, but if you are one of those real legitimate, uh, you know, like Floridians, like Floridian type, you just won't say holiday. You got to say Elfers. And it's a head scratcher to me, man. They get all emotional about it. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, because um, they were standing there when they paved the, the oh, dirt yeah. roads, right? There's a place, no kidding. Uh, there's a, a, a seafood restaurant on, uh, on Grand, and it's been there for a long time. 
And the guy's got uh, pictures of the city of Elfers, which is about, in the picture, it's about a half a block long. And they've got a sign, city of Elfers, and the whole thing. And he goes, yeah, that's the whole damn city right there. For, I'm proud of it. For being one of the most populated states in the nation, uh, and being one of the most diversely populated states in the nation, I would have to, I would have to say, one could argue, you know, because people come from everywhere. They converge here. Oh, yeah. And some people are just like you know, half a year residents. Some people are, you know, just holiday residents. And some people are here like you and I have, oh, yeah. have actually picked ourselves up and, and our worlds and moved them here. Yeah. So this is where we exist now. The history is not, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's not very long. Like uh, yeah. where you're from and where I'm from are, you know, when our, when our country was becoming a country, yeah. that's where it happened, where, you know, kind of where you were at, right? Oh, there was, yeah. there was yeah. some epicenter there because Washington, D.C. and all yeah. that stuff, right? Absolutely. And then when the Industrial Revolution occurred, where I'm from, in Detroit, that was kind of the epicenter, right? Well, yeah. And, and, it, was, and it held sway for 60 years? I mean, it's yeah. fair to say from... Oh, we could go back, um, God, um, a few hundred... Okay, so like in my case... Um, I'm um, primarily <laughs> citizen of the world, but um, primarily I call Virginia home. Sure. And like in the area of um, uh, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, what they call the tide. Like here we say Tampa Bay. Sure. But uh, there they would um, they would go Hampton Roads or Tidewater. So it's the same that gotcha. that metropolitan area. And uh, and then of course you know about DC and all that. And um, even if we're talking about Philadelphia, where I also live. Um, so these were, and even, uh, Michigan and Detroit, if we go back a few hundred years, these are places that were, for example, okay, I'll go to Virginia. Virginia was like the first stop, uh, when the, when the pilgrims were coming over, yep. they went to Virginia and when the slaves trade started, Hey, let's go to Virginia. Apparently, you know, that's not a real fun thing. <laughs> if you got a good 10, it's not exactly the funnest part of the <laughs> Not history. the best place but, to um, be. But yeah, but I mean, they've got all kinds of stuff there that uh that have been around uh, so what happened as a result of the, the the slave trade these these areas where these ports are became these huge these huge metropolitan what we now call metropolitan areas right and then of course in in the northeast it started in um started in massachusetts and uh massachusetts and that new england area and just continued west which sure. is how we got to michigan and and uh, some of the, some of the states out chicago so, yes yeah, chicago indianapolis and michigan and all that um but yeah, uh, but this area here, it's the reason I say it's just kind of weird is because depending on where you are, because like over here is like pretty cool. Um, we're like two minutes from the beach at that, and uh, you know it's you know more upscale kind of an area. But we could go. I'm not exaggerating. We could go two minutes that way, and you'd think, damn, I'm, I'm in the hood. And, well, and that's like, where they do uh, that way. live PD is a lot of, you see, oh, yeah. the, when you see the Pasco County live PD stuff, it's, oh, yeah. I'm like, that's 19. I know yeah. where that's at. I'm you, it's, it's legitimate because, and, and, but here's the thing. So like when you see like on live PD, mm. we always knew, um, like watching live PD, exactly what part of town they were going to. And like, okay, well, they ain't going where I live, right. but I know exactly where, where it's going, at. You know, it, it, very, now, the other thing about this area is um you actually said it once uh and um you were uh you we were talking last time we were talking uh on doing the podcast you said you made reference to charming like from um the tv show yeah. uh, sons of anarchy sons of anarchy this is and someone uh pointed this out to me about a month or so ago and um and so this is sort of like if charming was a real place it would be here because you know here everything's calm cool and collected no hell raising or anything like that 
But there's more MCs of all types. I'm talking from diamond clubs and everything else that actually, you know, have clubhouses here and converge, live here, and do business, they do stuff here. Mm-hmm. But nobody does anything stupid here. You know, like here's this is this is like the holy grail, so to speak. And there's a ton of clubs, but you know, out in the rest of the world, it is whatever it is. But but here in Charmin, hey, be cool. You know, like, right. Just one of them things. Well, so one of the, I wanted what I want to do today was to try to establish um, this new this new space that you and I are going to occupy yeah. once monthly going forward, uh, and we're going to call it the Usual Suspects. Gotcha. Usual Suspects. That would be Big Bone One Percent. Yeah. And Jason One Percent Er. Okay. I don't know why I've, I can't get that. I, why I can't get that I through my head. It's Big okay. Bone One Percenter and yeah. Jason. So um, and. I, we, I guess we, we need to make sure that we, uh, we pay homage to the people who put us in the room together. Uh, Absolutely. Fran and Rhett from the Fran Hosh Law Group. Yeah. Man, let me tell you, uh, those guys, uh, just in general, I say guys, but you know. Right, yeah, you know I know what I mean. Well, there's a whole group of them there. Like, that, yeah. that whole family of people takes care it, of it is, man. the Tampa Bay biker community. They are, and the, the entire group of those folks are just legitimately dedicated. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is that it's not just about, of course, they, they sponsor a lot of events and help a lot of people. But when, and, and I know this for a fact because I saw it several times, but um, during uh, this, this uh, pandemic that we're experiencing, <laughs> that we're still in, yeah, they kept a lot of, literally, they kept businesses afloat. They kept people afloat. Uh, there were all kinds of charitable organizations that needed a hand about this thing, that thing, the other thing, and they were always there, and it wasn't about, it wasn't about, oh, golly, put my name on a thing. No. It wasn't about, um, well, you're going to owe me. None of that. It was about they actually care about the the community. So that's a that's a perfect place to jump off from because I wanted to st- – we started in the very beginning talking about, like, kind of how Florida is a convergence of a lot of different places and a lot of different people. So we have our yeah. own kind of uh, – until you live here, like, I always kid around and say, like, the – the move in the move to Florida brochure <laughs> that doesn't exist that I think we should all write. There's so many things that aren't in there that are left out and they're, you know, you just, it's such a giant state. It's so very heavily populated now, but at the same time you have these pockets of dense groups of people. And then you have this expansive, like when I was driving here tonight, like yeah. I live an hour and a half away from you. So right. I will never bust your balls <laughs> again about, about how, about being late to the shop. Right. Cause I was like, Wow. <laughs> Hour and forty-five. Okay, I should have left at four o'clock. It's which I'm. <laughs> it is. It, it's and it's like not a good. There's not like a good way to get over here either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not treacherous or anything, but it's yeah. like, you know, where some metropolitan areas like have a loop, right? Yeah. Yep. And that you can kind of avoid some of the some of that, but um, we don't have that here. And so getting yep. from one side to the other, even though it may only be like 60 miles, I think it's 60 miles to my place from here. Yeah. It, there's like not a direct route. Like yep. we've got to make enough money <laughs> to where we have a helicopter so I can just fly oh, yeah. over here, right? <laughs> I've been thinking about that. <laughs> but I let's, <laughs> let's talk about, um, we, I bet we, uh, yeah, we would probably make a couple phone calls. Let's talk about, um, you know, I want to set the stage for <clears throat> what the usual Sussex is going to be. And I was trying to, I was explaining to a friend of mine over here. He's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Hudson. He goes, where's that? And I said, it's 60 miles away. I haven't been there yet. Um, I didn't realize how close we were to areas that I had been, though, because the way the GPS took me. But 
what I want to try to accomplish with the usual suspects is you and I, uh, on our first meeting realized, I think, or I feel like this is what I took away from our meeting that although we are diametrically opposed in some of our personal, um, thoughts and decision-making pro ideas, we're not diametrically opposed in how we get there. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. you and I both have, um, you know, you're a couple years older than me, not many, but you're, and you're from a different part of the country than I am, but through our associations, we orbit in a, in a thinking space that is very, very much alike to each other. Yeah. yeah and I, so I get that. we have a lot of respect for each other, or I have a ton of respect for, for you. When you tell me something that I am diametrically opposed to, I spend time trying to unpack that. Right, right. Right. And so what I wanted to accomplish with the usual suspects is I wanted to prove to people that two dudes that are not from the same, they're not cut from the, from the same swatch of cloth are definitely cut from the same type of cloth. And we're yeah. definitely, we ag agree on what we don't, we agree on each other's right to, to, to have a, a difference of opinion and we're willing to defend our opinion, but still listen to somebody else's. And I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people. Yeah. I've yeah. learned uh, in the last year, uh, we'll just say probably maybe only 10 months really where it got very different. Um, and certainly, you know, you'd mentioned earlier the pandemic changed. It changed the way people communicated with people in in very different ways. Oh yeah. Because of the separation, you know, where there was so much social distancing from each other that was whether you whether what whatever side you you sit on on that and whether that's good, bad or indifferent, it created a space where people started communicating in a way that they didn't have to be held held to those words. Yeah. In the same yep. way. Like you're the type of person that if someone comes up to you and says something that you don't like to their to your face, you're going to challenge them, not just necessarily in a physical way, but you're going to challenge them to explain it to you. Yeah. And I think people say whatever the fuck they want to say sometimes yeah. on the internet because you can't, because you can't, I don't want to say because <laughs> you can't get punched in the face, but, but that's what it is. Well, is you can't hold is. people, you can't hold people accountable we in call the same them, way. Uh, in the, uh, we, I, we got a bunch of names for those folks. Uh, there's a, uh, well, back before the internet was as prevalent as it is, they were telephone tough guys. Oh yeah. Uh, but now they're, uh, they're e-thugs and, uh, internet gangsters. Right. You know, and, um, and I'm, I'm very, I've gotten kicked off of Facebook you know, go to Facebook jail <laughs> many times, you know, 30 day stretches at a time. I'm doing Facebook time, but, uh, and usually what it's for is, uh, I'm having some conversation in some open platform and, uh, someone who is, uh, far to the right, you know, like maybe a smidge left to Hitler says something insane and I'll, uh, I'll say my piece and I can converse no problem. Fine. But once they start with the name calling and all of yeah, that I mean, stuff that's... and being disrespectful, so then I, I have a tendency to take it straight to the streets. I, first thing is I go take a look at their page and figure out if they're local. And if they are, I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's have this conversation in the parking lot. And such and such and such and such. Next thing you know, I'm kicked off of Facebook. But, um, but, um, I just want to make sure that we, that we establish on the front side of this that, you know, you and I do not agree on everything. Um, but yep. what we do agree on is a mutual respect for each other. Yeah, and, and it works. And, and yeah, and and so I want to try to provide some point counterpoint 
from me to you and from you yeah. to me. And so that there, I think there's people that listen, you know, we're up to, uh, on, on the GarageBelt podcast, we're up to around 19,000 subscribers. Outstanding. That's, that's, that's good. I'm, and I'm pretty proud of it. Like I, I, we looked at some numbers here, uh, on, on iTunes and, you know, we're not in the top 100 yet, but we're getting close. And, um, so I wanted to start this other, this other piece to kind of be, you know, we're both motorcycle guys. We, we live it 24 seven. Yeah. And uh, we're not from, we're not exactly, we don't have exactly the same background, but I think because of where I grew up, um, I understand where you're coming from on most things. And I think because of where you grew up, you understand where, where I'm coming from on a lot of things. And so right. I wanted to provide, I wanted to show people that it's okay to disagree. I guess that's the right way to say it. I don't want to, I don't want to start some of this no, where, but, we're ar where we're arbitrary to each other because we're not, we're really not. But I wanted to show people that it's okay to, to do that. And you know, I, I think the, the thing that I've been noticing is, uh, in fact, since we started doing this, I pay very much closer attention, I think, to to those folks who I can have that kind of relationship with or mm -hmm. have that sort of conversation with and those folks that I cannot. Um, and here I go with Facebook again, but but uh, there's folks who are just so, you know, outrageously opposed. And you know, it's not that the people have to agree with me. No. But the fashion in which they communicate that is very important. So uh, I'm one of those people uh, where hey, look, if you're just going to be outrageous, insane and say a whole bunch of unpleasant stuff and, um, you know, and or especially if you're making threats or you're talking about, hey, we need a civil war tomorrow and I'm going to go and burn down the church and all this whole kind of stuff. Right. Okay. So one uh, step one, cuss them out, and, you know. Tell them to meet me in the parking lot. And step two is to cut them off and, you know, like delete them as, you know, unfriend them or whatever. And um, and just in the past four years, it's been a lot of people. I mean, I went from thousands. Well, all right, I still got a few thousand. But but um, I probably unfriended like a thousand plus individuals just from either A, them saying, I'm saying over the past four years, either, either from them saying something real stupid or, or just being outlandishly disrespectful or B, me just seeing something that they had posted that was consistent with that. So I'm like, you know, let me just avoid the, the, the problem because two years from now, I'm not going to want to be your buddy because now I know who you are and you kind of showed me. So let me ask you a question. Something that's, that's I've, I've struggled with a couple things this year. And this is one of the things I wanted to bring, bring to you tonight because to get some clarity for myself, because I do trust, I trust where here, here's the thing, even though I disagree with some of the things you say, I trust where, your decision comes from. Does that make sense to you? Yes. I yes. trust that it, that it's in earnest and that it's that it's authentic. So there's that old saying that says, I've never considered a difference of political opinion as a reason to withdraw from a friend. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm really struggled with that this year. And I have a friend who, yeah. who posted that and I was like, you know what? He was so diametrically opposed to my political things that he did withdraw from our friendship over it and yeah. i thought with but he did it without a conversation gotcha he did it through he posted a meme i po i posted a meme he posted a meme and then we were done right right so i like to think that i consider a difference of political opinion a reason to start dialogue Do you yeah, understand what i'm saying absolutely like um you know you've made it very clear in no uncertain terms that <laughs> you hate trump Okay. Well, hate's a strong well, word. Okay, it's not strong okay, enough, but yeah. So, <laughs> I'm just so here's my thing, and I thought about this on the way over because ultimately you and I are, we're going to 
we're going to end up at, at politics because it's so important to me and it's yeah. so important to you. Sure. And I think you're articulate about it. Oh, cool. Thank you. Um, and I certainly try to be. So what I was thinking about on the way over here was I'm like, okay, I have to ask you, and is your decision to, to be a Biden supporter based on how much you dislike Trump or is it based on because you think he is cognitively capable of doing the job? Man, you know what? That is that is literally it's one of my favorite uh, conversations, one, okay. of, one of my favorite topics. And I'll tell you what it is. Um, and I'm going to try to uh, keep this from getting too uh, too convoluted. But yeah, so here we go. Um, a few different things. Um, first of all, uh, needless to say, as you just pointed out, so I'm not a Trump fan. Um, I have very, I had, and uh, still do very little faith in his ability to to be the best for this country. Okay. And I also believe that a lot of his actions are much more self-serving than it is for the uh, for the benefit of the country. Now, the reason that I voted for Biden, if there was, if the if the Democratic candidate show more or any candidate for that fact. Um, if I was of the opinion that, oh man, this guy's going to be just as bad, then at that point, honestly, it would have been, well, better the devil you know than, than the one that you don't. Okay. Uh, the thing is, though, is that uh, Biden has a, we, we, he has a history, like a lot of, um, a lot of people on the right love say, oh, he's been around for 47 years and hadn't did anything. Well, that's not accurate. He has been around for a long time, but a good portion of that time, eight years of that, he was the vice president yep. under uh, under Barack Obama, who's uh, literally one of my favorite presidents. And without without going all into that, no, yeah. I think did a really good job. So he enjoys the the in, in my opinion, he enjoys the benefit of being a part of that administration. So for that alone is going to give him a couple of a couple of brownie points. But the thing is, is that when he pointed out that, uh, and I believed when he said that he wasn't considering running for president until after Charlottesville, and he named a few other things, but primarily Charlottesville, when uh, Donald Trump referred to the uh, the white supremacists and such as, as really fine people. And, of course, since before and since, we've seen a, a lot more of the same uh, from Trump. And uh, what Biden said was is that we are in a fight for the soul of America. Man, that hit me hard because that's exactly the way I felt. I believe in this country. Uh, with all of our faults and flaws and, you know, um, tumultuous history and all like that, I, I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to this country. So having said that, um, I, needed to, I needed to believe that there is a way to go in a, in a better direction so that the, the complexion, if you will, of the country, uh, no pun intended, uh, no, the, I, I, the complexion know what you mean. of yeah, the yeah. country is where it once was. We were once uh, Ronald Reagan referred to us as the shining beacon on the hill. You know, like America was the place that set the standards for, uh, which I always found to be a bit ironic, but we set the standards for, for morality, for economic growth, and a bunch of other things. We've also but, set the standard for, 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 uh, for the, the moral, growth of morality. Yeah. We started out very flawed. Yeah, yeah. But we were we started out the product of some very what I would consider some very bad parenting. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know yeah, what I mean. Absolutely. So you know, if absolutely. we look at it from that, um, I I certainly don't. 
I, I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but I, I do have I do have to say that there are some things there's some some things we talked about on our first podcast, and I want to make sure that we we keep this topically tied to um, sure. some of those early conversations, and especially motorcycles. And I have some genuine concerns about our new vice president, and of that so she was in law enforcement for a very long time. Yeah, and she put a lot of people behind bars using yeah. the laws that were on the books that were disparity that they, they, were, they were written in disparity towards minorities and low-income families yeah and and i have a, a problem with that i also have a problem yeah. with his and her stance on guns i think that there's a good time for a conversation about guns between you and i because yeah. i i know that you you are, you know carry a constitution in your pocket allegedly allegedly <laughs> and that you but you know it i mean and you it, it's not something that is it's it's not something that is is lost on you right no not at all in fact um and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna come back to uh to, to guns and yeah uh, and, uh, no and, i want to uh, have that conversation President too Lex because it, i mean it fits into but, our it fits into our social circle a well, lot of know, us have guns these, and... these things uh actually tie into to the previous question so in regard to um why biden you know, just to put it like that, why Biden, uh, as opposed to Trump, it was much less about voting against Trump and really voting for America. Um, because the way that I look at Biden is like this, is that Bi Biden, I look at like he is a, uh, what, what do we used to call it? A, he's a, a stopgate measure, you know, uh, meaning that the insanity and the, uh, the insanity. Stop gap. He's stop a stopgap. Thank you. Yeah. The stop, he was a stopgap okay. measure. And by that, I mean, that uh, I'm not expecting uh, Joe Biden to dramatically change the entire United States or make America great again or any of those other sort of things. But if, if during his term we get America back to a civil place and we discourage some of the, some of the civil discourse and some of the hatred and some of the, you know, all of these sort of things that, that was, that, made Trump a household name and uh, all of that insanity. If we can just turn back the clock over the past four years, man, he would, in, in my opinion, he would have did his job. So that's a so, thought, that's a thoughtful way to do that. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that your answer is a, is a thoughtful one. I feel that I, I have to just tell you that why I didn't vote for him. So that there's a point counterpoint. On get this out, thing. get out. No, I'm, no. Kidding. I'm, <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Is that because I don't, I don't think that we were, I don't think that being, I, I, I firmly believe, and I'm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, not, not, okay. to, not to not offend somebody, but so that I don't come across as, as an idiot, is that I feel like we've been embattled in wars my entire adult life. I can remember in my senior year when we started in the Middle East, yeah. like firing Scud missiles and Patriot yep, missiles yep. and that stuff, and we've been embattled that since then, and it's, it's quelled quite a bit over the yeah. last four years. Sure. Um, and that may be because we had focuses in other unhealthy areas. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, being in business with I, – I don't care about China's impression of the United States. I don't care about Germany's opinion of the United States. I really don't. And here's why. Um, you shouldn't care about my opinion of you as much as you should care about your opinion of you, right? And so I think as a country, I think it behooves us – to be that beacon of freedom that we talk about and be a place where people can come and get jobs. And 
you know, we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by doing business in the way that we've done it over the last 40 years. And so I fear that in the next four years, we're going to go back to being embattled in wars that are non-ending. I well, think that we're going to be bad, and I, think, and I think we're going to see our deficit go back up. Uh, and I don't, I wouldn't blame Biden for, I don't blame Biden for the, the pandemic that we're in. Sure. But I don't blame Trump either. I blame, there's, I blame the China, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, for leaving the door open. Well, I'll tell you, um, in regard to, and I'm still going to come back to guns. No, no, and, uh, I, we'll and, have that conversation. And, and, and yeah. uh, Harris. But um, I'll tell you, in regard to the pandemic, I'm just start. Uh, most recent go backwards. In regard to the pandemic, um, I absolutely blame Trump. Um, not that he invented it or not that he was a, a bat, even though I think he might be a vampire. Um, <laughs> but, um, I'm not going to blame him for the bat that bit something or that came from a wet market sure. in, in, uh, in Wuhan Ooh, or something like that. But what I am going to do is say that he was so singularly and so single-minded, so singly singularly focused minded. on eradicating any uh, any part of a legacy that Barack Obama had established. One of the things that Barack Obama had st established that was fantastic for us as a country is uh, his pandemic response team. Uh, the pandemic response team, and I remember this years ago when uh, the Ebola, uh, excuse me, the Ebola outbreak happened mm -hmm. in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Ebola, there was SARS, which was in China. Yep. Um, there was Ebola, SARS, uh, there was, uh, in fact, a resurgence of the swine flu these different uh, pand uh, epidemics that were happening in other countries. And I remember uh, the Republicans in the House and the Senate were just dead set against the idea of America spending all this money to go to Africa to stop Ebola, from to stop Ebola. Well, they say, oh, he's a, he's a Muslim and he's a Kenyan and he's a, he was born and all of that stuff. Uh, yeah. But what he pointed out back then, which, is, which we've seen to be extremely true now, uh, his ideology was, and he explained it. We need to go and help our, we're a part of the world community. So of course we need, to, I almost did my Obama impersonation just saying, we're a part of the world community. We have to go over there and help those folks. And by helping our friends and neighbors, we are helping ourselves. <laughs> so we are, that. yeah, that's but, pretty um, good. But more importantly, uh, what, what he actually did though, is by going to Africa with the pandemic response team and all the resources and so forth, is they kept Ebola there. They kept SARS in China. They kept Ebola in Africa and so on and so forth. And it was it made perfect sense. Uh, the folks who I think what we were seeing then is that there were people who were they were more against him than they were for the benefit of America. So what was happening, even though they saw it as a humanitarian effort and we're wasting money and resources and all this, what he was actually doing was protecting America. Now, let's flash forward to, uh, to about October, November, when, uh, when the Trump administration was advised that, hey, there's an epi a, a, a epidemic that's going on in China, and here's what's going on with it, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, they did absolutely nothing. In fact, the, the next, uh, so Trump's next move was to disband the pandemic response team because they referred to it as Obama's pandemic response team, and that just couldn't do, so let's get rid of that. We don't like that anymore. And we don't need it and all of this other kind of stuff. And quite obviously, here it is December, and uh, I've had COVID twice this year. And, and you know, so many people that I know have died. In my, in my club, uh, we've had a lot of guys die this year, in, just in 2020. Um, and 
Uh, of course, Rudy Giuliani's got, I and mean, I could go on and on with that. Sure. But the thing is, so, but of course, if we remember, Trump said it's a hoax put together by the Democrats. It's a hoax. So it wasn't a hoax. And um, so my, my thing, about, just a, a sidebar. So Trump lies about a lot of things, but unfortunately, things that are super huge and important that we need to, uh, it, you know, like this is one of those times or there's been several times where he needs to say, hey, let me check my ego at the door. Let me not be a doggone psychomaniac here for a moment because the whole country is uh, depending on me making good decisions. But the only decisions that he makes are those that, that stroke his ego, uh, his ego right. a lot of times. And even when something doesn't go his way, like at the inauguration, he literally said, it's the hugest inauguration in the history of, inaugura of inaugurations. And of course it was not. And uh, and then now we, we have this expression, fake news, that he invented. I, mean, right. I could go on and on with that. But my point is, though, is that uh, going back to uh, what Trump has been doing versus what, and it's not really a referendum on Trump versus Obama. No. My point is, though, is that he's the most recent president by which we can compare him to that was completely different. So in regard to, um, in regard to uh, the whole thing with China, um, uh, or, now I, I will say this, um, I don't think that we're going to go backwards economically speaking. However, if we do within the next 18 months, then we can squarely point that in the direction of Trump. The reason is in the same exact way that we can point the first, uh, th those first 18, 18 or so months of economic growth in, in America during uh, Trump's, uh, the first 18 or so months of Trump's presidency where we had all this growth, uh, economically speaking, wasn't as a result of Trump. It was as a result of the previous administration because there's always that lag time. It doesn't matter which president we're talking about. Right. On day one, the president can't do all of these things that change the economy. Not not that day anyway. It's, gonna, it's, it's a process. So what we saw with uh, the economic growth, and Republicans typically will never admit this, but Barack Obama, and you now he genuinely inherited a mess, but he genuinely fixed it. We had consistent job growth. We had consistent strength in the economy. Wall Street was doing good, but Main Street was doing good. Um, so it's what we are seeing now is um, Wall Street is doing fantastic. Main Street, not so much. And But a lot of that is as a result of, now, I'm, again, I'm not going to blame uh, Trump for, for COVID because that's something that, he or anybody, even though he says he's the smartest man on the planet Earth and, and four or five other planets, <laughs> there's no way that he could have predicted that. Barack Obama did. That's where we got the pandemic response team. But, you know, um, tomato, tomato. But um, I guess what I'm saying is, is that when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Biden, he's a stopgap measure. And uh, hopefully he'll leave the country in enough of a stable position so that whomever the next president is, They'll look at that example and hopefully not want to go back to Trump era ideologies or Trump era politics. Well, I certainly um, hope that we don't go back to some of the ideologies yeah, that have been NAFTA perpetuated was, here. And I'll, I'll give you I'll give you one example. Um, uh, George, uh, as you were uh, not George Bush, but uh, Clinton, doggone Bill Clinton. Uh, NAFTA was, in my opinion, then and I love Bill Clinton, but NAFTA was a giant clusterfuck um, has been for a while. Probably one of the few things that I might agree with Trump on is that NAFTA was fucked up and uh, and it needed to be dealt with. The neat thing is is that Joe Biden was not a, a 
was ne- because he was Senator Joe Biden back yeah. then. And he was not a fan of NAFTA, which also, you know, some of his decisions um, back then were great. Some of them weren't so great. Um, that's just, he has a checkered past, and I think you're gonna yeah. when you're when you're in that that space for a long time. I don't I don't cut him any slack for sure. some of the things he did when his kids were in school. Some yeah. of the things he said, I don't cut him slack for that. Well, see, I, I, I you know I is, think though, that if you won't cut him slack for what he said then, then how is it possible that that we can give Trump a hey a thumbs up when his past is horrendous? I mean, he can't um, win New York because New Yorkers hate him because he's from New York and they know it. Yeah, I I think that his I, I think that some of the things that he did, uh, I've looked and I've tried to find, and I you you're not going to find somebody who as a celebrity was more welcome at a table with some of the some of the the biggest names in sure. in the African American community. I bought his book. Um, what I'm saying is, is that so the real I, the only thing I can find there's two things I can find on Trump that are they're checkered and they're not there's also not a lot of good information on him because of the way that news is populated back then. I mean, you know, you can only do well, so much research on what somebody else wrote 40 years ago, right? right. There's the thing with the the rental homes and people being denied. Sure, you can't. I'm glad you said that. You can't come back. Good. You can't come back from, from that. But from what I, from what I can read. His dad was still alive. His dad, that was his dad's company that was he was involved in. Yes, um, I'm not giving him a pass. Okay. Uh, but uh, there's also, that was socially his feet were held to the fire, but there was nothing that anybody could really do. I mean, even the... Her- well, he was a private businessman at the time. Yeah, housing and urban development couldn't even, wasn't as strong as what they are today. Yeah, HUD wasn't. So, it, you know... It, so I, I, I see that. And, you I, and I see the that. Central Park Five? I do. And okay. so part of that is, huh, that is sticking your nose where it doesn't belong, in my opinion. I mean, you know, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't believe, here's what I think. I think he's very racial. Yeah. I don't know that, I don't know that I think he's a racist. I think he's racial. And what I mean by that is, I have said things that have been racial too not racist, but racial, you know, I, I, I got beat up by a, a group of black dudes one time. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, I mean, like I, I you can't leave that out of the story yeah, of because course. it's, it's part of the story. Yeah, of course. And, and part of the reason why I got beat up is because I was white and there's see, absolutely but, but without a fact, your narrative, the thing with Trump is, and, and this is uh, the, the issue with Trump is this, is that from quite literally from, uh, from when he was candidate Trump, and, well, actually way before, um, for any listeners who aren't familiar with the Central Park Five issue, which they prefer to be called the Exonerated Five now, but what happened? Um, these these kids who were, uh, if I remember properly, the youngest one was thirteen, the oldest yeah, one was 16, seventeen or something. Seven, yeah, yeah, 16, they were, 17, they like were that. kids. Um, they were kids, uh, and they were accused of a horrendous crime uh, that took park in Central Park uh, that took place in Central Park of uh, of raping this this woman jogger. Um, it was later, and they suffered tremendously. There's been movies about it and all that. Yeah. Uh, they suffered tremendously uh, because they were kids thrown in, like, Rikers Island and some of these sort of things, and they were tortured and raped and beaten and all these things. They were coerced by the police, which was proven. Uh, they were coerced by the police, to some of them, to make statements that weren't true just so they could go home only to find out, by the way, we're going to convict you. Well, anyway, it was proven through DNA and everything else, and including actually finding the guy that did it, that, hey, these kids didn't do it. 
Um, but in the process of that, Donald Trump said, hey, let me post a full-page ad in the New York Times. And, uh, and he went on every television show and every radio show that he could saying that these kids ought to be put to death. Now, once it was proven unequivocally that they did not do it, he would not reverse himself. In fact, he doubled down on it saying, hey, you know, they're animals and they ought to be killed. And, this day. and that was way back in the day. Now, flash forward. Uh, as a candidate, he's done the same sort of things. People say, oh, well, he's dropping dog whistles. He went well beyond dog whistles. Um, he's just said. No, he knows how. Yeah. Well, he, he's communicating with those folks who they get excited about his racism and they're going to vote for him because of it. Um, there are people who know dick about politics who know that, hey, this guy is a guy like us. So he's our guy. And um the, the fact that uh, that uh, David Duke, I had a long conversation with a guy, David Duke, who was uh, the longtime Grand Wizard of the, of the KKK, like, yeah. has um, has come out on many occasions saying that, hey, Trump is our guy, he's like us, and here's why we all support him. He's never denounced the support of the KKK or, or any white supremacist group. In fact, uh, during the debate, he gave a shout-out to the Proud Boys and gave them instruction, uh, stand back and stand by. You know, I'm like, wow. You know, yeah, the, the Proud Boys is, aren't racist. The Proud well, Boys, the Proud Boys are in, and they're not all just white. You understand? Four days ago, they burned down a bunch. Uh, they uh, set on fire a bunch of churches in Washington D.C. and stabbed, uh, stabbed but, folks. But there are, but but you, the same thing can be said on the other side of that. Like uh, that's not. The, I don't think that's them. I think anybody. You know, that's a, that's a move. That's a terrorism move. Okay. I mean, anytime there's a bomb bombing over in uh, in the Middle East, yeah. you know. Hezbollah and they're all they're all jockeying for position to say that they did it. Right. Uh, it, I'm not I'm not saying they're cool. I'm not okay. saying they're right. No, what no, I'm saying you. is is that is that you don't have any. That's what happens when you have an organization like that. Is that you create you create these situations that you have no control of anymore because people will misappropriate your name. Well, sure. Uh, I mean, what and, I'm, and that that's a legitimate thing. It was but, started by a stand-up comic. Yeah. Now, how much of how much of and I guess this is where the, the question comes, because those same exact folks, um, the, the Proud Boys, or have been very adamant and very vocal about suggesting that BLM is a terrorist organization, even though they I don't haven't killed that. anybody. Oh, yeah. No, it, no, no, I'm saying I don't believe that oh, BLM no. is a terrorist organization. Oh, yeah. I don't think that BLM is what they say they are, but, you know. I uh, think what's happened, um, so with BLM, the, the, well, to go back to the thing. So what's happened is um, there's so many, and I've talked to many of them, uh, uh, some folks that I know really, really well. And I won't discolor their, you know, no, I won't yeah, say what I, their yeah, opinions yeah, yeah, are that's now. Fine. But, but um, there's some folks that, uh, that, uh, that I think either of us may know. Um, in fact, one of them invited <laughs> us to come to his, uh, his location to do it there because he owns a couple of different gotcha. businesses. Um, but anyway, um, he, for, uh, for some time, was un under the impression that BLM was a terrorist organization, that they're killing people and they're burning down buildings and all yeah. these things. Um, over a period of time, what he was able to discover, um, one, because I pointed out, and two, because he had to confirm it, he Some people have to put their hand and, on the burner to see yeah, if it's hot. And dude. what he found out was, is hey, you know, BLM is actually not the folks responsible for all of these sort of things, and they're just not who. I told you that when was. we had our conversation yeah, before that absolutely. BLM shows up to do a peaceful demonstration, yeah. and then you have people that are arbiters of sure. destruction that show up and throw rocks at the cops, and oh, then yeah. BLM gets a bad name. Gotcha. And the horrible part is, I've actually seen proof that not in every case, but. Uh, oh, and I wish I could remember the city. I, 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 I might have sent you the video, but where there were actual um, police officers in that one city who you were could see loading them. the bricks. Yeah, and that's in Dallas. Down in different, that's in Dallas. Yeah, in Dallas. And yeah. So, 
And the thing is, I'm not saying that all cops are doing that, but the thing is, though, is that most typically, um, I agree with you in the sense that a certain movement can easily be hijacked by people to the extreme right or the extreme left of what that organization is. And it usually happens at least for. once. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, how come we don't hear about it? And I was thinking about this. Or how come I don't hear about the NAACP anymore? I mean, that's a worth – my whole growing – like, so mm -hmm. here, here's what I think about BLM. Yeah. Black Lives Matter shows up in black, predominantly black neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. To say that Black Lives Matter. Well, who are they trying to convince themselves? <laughs> their their fellow men? Or I don't. I don't well, listen. I, I do you know, know where I, I know grew up. To I don't sure. need. To, I don't need to be reminded that Black Lives Matter. I I know where I grew up. I got. And you. I know the situations that I was in. I and know so the answer. To that. I, but I feel like <laughs> it's. I feel like um. It's an arbit. It's an arbitrary way to make somebody listen to something that they already know. Like, I don't need to be reminded that. I was, right. you know what I mean? I, I, well, I think what, what's happened with this is this. And I'm so, also not the, let me finish yeah, this. No, I'm also not the one that says, well, you're killing each other, so it doesn't fucking matter. Right, I right. don't, I'm, poor people, we talked about this. Yeah. Poor people, people that get murdered usually are murdered by somebody they know or yeah. somebody within a it's couple a of square thing. miles. It's a proximity yeah. thing. That's not, that's not an anecdote. That's like a fucking yeah, hard way for fact. Time. It always has been. My, um, my, I have a cousin that was an FBI agent and he told me in the 80s, he goes, uh, that he was telling me the difference between uh, how they can look at a at a crime scene and get an idea whether it was a man or a woman, whether it was personal, whether it was business, and um and the, it was just sure out. there's metrics. It, yeah, it amazing amazing science behind it, and and he was super right. But one of the things that he pointed out was is that most people, when they murder for whatever the reason, um, when people murder another person, it's done. Uh, uh, the first thing is proximity, uh, proximity and access. Yeah, and two. Uh, it, it, two is the, the modus operandi, the MO, uh, yeah, MO, the like MO, what made them do it. Yeah. And um, the thing that he pointed out, he goes, the majority of the time, he goes, white people are killing other white people, black folks are killing other black folks, and so on and so forth, because the people that they most likely would be interacting with are usually of, of the same race, usually. Um, and I was like, well, what does that mean? And he explained that, he goes, hey, listen, if you live in an all-black neighborhood and you, most of the folks you deal with are black, that's the person similar SES as well. Yeah. The yeah. social economic status of the Absolutely. people that you live in the proximity. That's why some. That's why some neighborhoods like yeah. this one yeah. are more expensive to live in. Yeah. Than yeah. the neighborhoods that, like you pointed out earlier in this podcast. Yeah. A mile away. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't. I don't mean that it's useless. What I'm saying is, is that I don't. It. I. You're preaching. I, to, they're preaching I wish, to the choirs. I wish that BLM wasn't necessary or that the people who did that didn't feel it was necessary to do that in that way. Yeah. I think the way you make lives matter and you make neighborhoods better and is, you know, I talked about it before with you. Dr. Ruby K. Payne has a book called the guide to understanding poverty. And when you read that book, mm -hmm. you realize that poverty is not the choice that people think it is. Yeah, there yeah. are some contributing factors. The decisions that you make on a regular basis contribute yeah. to some of the bad situations that you're in. Right. But sure. if you and I both start a foot race, right, and we run exactly the same speed, and I get a ten foot head start, right, you're never going to catch me. Yeah. Especially until I... if you throw a couple of barriers in my way, um, you know. So now I've got a, a three, four, five hurdles and a. But don't you think that part of that is, part of that is the the the, the fact that I'll I'll tell you if if I can't. 
I want to go back to real quick. I want you to tell me why you said I'm going to tell you why. Okay. And I want you to tell me why, so that we can we can move to this next part that I want okay. to tell you. Um. Well. Okay. So the thing is this. So um, BLM actually started in uh, right here in the good old state of Florida, in uh, Sanford, Florida. It was uh, uh, after Trayvon Martin was uh, was murdered with the. Uh, uh, yeah. Dagon, um, what's his name? George, um, George Zimmerman, George, George Zimmerman, who is a scumbag. Yeah. Of the, of the highest order. Um, he's actually making his living by going to white supremacist rally, signing, um, bags of Skittles, uh, to, and, and taking pictures with the bag of Skittles with the guy with and, other scumbags. Yeah. And he sold the, uh, he sold the gun that he killed Trayvon Martin with for like a million dollars. Um, cause you know, some, some white supremacist guy just had to have it anyway. Um, but, but getting back to the point, so the idea behind BLM was that, of course, stand for Black Lives Matter, and that's from whence it started. And they are speaking to communities not so much because it's not a, a group or a club or anything. It's a movement. So the idea of going to these black neighborhoods and so forth was to mobilize the folks there so that they could get, uh, ultimately, when you have a great number of people, in particular when people vote, well, now especially when there's a, a, a great number of people, and BLM did that. So now they brought attention to an issue. And if you remember, when uh, th that was years ago that Tray Trayvon Martin, Martin died, was murdered, yeah. and they're still around, but they didn't really catch traction, so to speak, until uh, it was consistent with the murder of George, George Floyd. Floyd. And that's a lot of years. So, you, so the, the point is, though, is that they've been trying for years to say, hey, this is something that needs to stop, and that was what... Um, uh, what's his name? Cal Colin Kaepernick. Same exact thing. He wasn't wearing a BLM T-shirt or anything, but he wanted to bring attention to the same exact issue. And a lot of folks, so slowly but surely, it caught on. And it really became a thing when the rest of the world decided, hey, this is messed up. This is going on in America. I have um, relatives and friends who are in Japan and Germany and the UK who are all telling me about the protests that are going on over there. Uh, consistent with the murder of George Floyd. And then right after there was Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and all of these folks. Which, to be honest with you, are yeah. far more sinister situations than sure. the George Floyd one. I mean, have you watched the entire George Floyd tape? I have. And the thing and did is... You, did, you read the, did you read the autopsy? Um, I heard it. I didn't read I it, read it. I heard it. Well, the thing is, so, so your suggestion is that he had drugs in his system or something? I'm not, or, here's the first thing is, is yeah. it shouldn't have happened. Sure. Okay. Well, that's my he was, opinion. he was already in the car. I will tell you that I think he was murdered. Yeah. I told you that before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. However, um, he was already in the car. So to pull him back out of the cop car, that's yeah. where I start seeing problem number one. Yeah. But his, his esophagus was not crushed. He did have drugs in his system. Yeah. I think everything that you do contributes to the situation that you're in. Yeah. I don't blame him. Sure. I do blame, I 100% put the blame on the cop. Yeah. 100%. And more so than that, I put more blame on the cop that watched the other cop do it. Yeah, yeah. And I have a, so I have a problem with the thought process that law enforcement goes through. I think it's, I got to tread lightly here because I don't want to upset anybody because I don't, I don't, when I say I don't want to upset anybody, that I want to upset somebody. Yeah. But I don't want to upset somebody for the wrong reasons. I want someone to understand that nobody is above the law. And higher than the law of man is the order of God. Right, right. And if you can't obey about the Ten Commandments, yeah, you know, 
killing somebody in a high-speed chase because you decided to chase them, and that's why they sped, right. two wrongs don't make a right, brother. Right, sure, sure. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Pulling that man back out of the car because he was belligerent was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was on, he, whether he's on drugs or not. I also don't have a problem with someone doing drugs. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah. Get your freak on. You're not making me do it. You're not getting in my way doing it. Right. But all of these things contributed. The car should have been, there's no reason for him to be pulled out of the car. And I don't want to belabor this, but we haven't yeah. talked about this in, sure. in detail. Sure. So what I'm saying is, is that let's make sure that we delineate out what went wrong and what went wrong was that cop should not have pulled him back out of the car and yeah. he died subsequently because of that well you know and the way that the law works is like this if uh and i was watching this uh this tv show um called the outsiders it's, it's not even on tv anymore but um uh so there was this one guy who um who sold uh, it's a family called the ferals they live up in the mountains and that whole thing and um they make their own special brand of moonshine and it's called feral wine and it's supposed to be super powerful with hallucinogenic properties and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, the one mountain guy sells, um, sells a jug of this stuff to some, um, to some drug dealer guy who lives in the local town. Sure. Well, the local town guy, he sells it for 150 bucks to some kids. The kids take it to a party. The one kid's drinking the stuff. He gets drunk. He gets sick. He's out of his brain and he kills his father. So if this was real life, the uh, uh, there would be several different uh, several different people that would be guilty. Right. Um, the kid that that drank this stuff and was was messed up and did that, so he's responsible. But whoever sold it to him is responsible. But whoever sold it to that guy is also responsible. So like in real life, if um if we're at a bar and you're the bartender and I'm sloshed out of my brain and you're still serving me alcohol. And, and you get on your motorcycle. I, yeah, and and I kill somebody or kill myself. Then, but why the does law the why does it, after but the problem that I have is that they're not he's there. That's not just breaking a, a law written by man. Yeah, that's breaking a law in your heart. Like I mean, yeah, you should sure. know. Yeah, not to do that. And so that's all. I, that's all I'm no, saying I'm, is I'm that with you. I am with not you. a fan of law enforcement as yeah. as a as a rule. But at the same time, it's a slippery slope to say ACAB yeah. or defund the police. Right, it's like, right. how about re-educate the police? Absolutely. How about reappropriate? Well, that's what it means. Um, defund the police. But it, the optics of it, it has. Well, exactly. Just like the, everything gets because, hijacked. Well, the thing is, is that we, the word, uh, the expression rather in, in politics of defunding something has been around for decades. Um, like we suggested, uh, like it's been discussed in Detroit, it was a big thing. We're going to uh, defund education or defund the school board. And what they were talking about was not so much that we're not going to, uh, we're not going to allow. I'm uh, from there, for, and I remember when that was right. going on. You know, what the they were is, doing was wrong. Those well, yeah. those school board members were. <laughs> well, it was. I I think that what was what was written and the way that it was applied two totally different things. But in other places, like in uh, in California, even here in Florida, when you're talking about defunding a thing, it just means that you're not going to allocate as much money to a part of that program that isn't working or you're going to spend more money in an area that we need to give attention to so in regard to the police what we're talking about is when we say defund the police we mean okay so the police like uh like naco chris naco here in pasco county 
Um, is he a good sheriff? <laughs> no, he's a horrible sheriff. Okay. I can't wait till he's not a, uh, in fact, I'll tell you more about that later. But um, yeah, he's a horrible, horrible sheriff. Uh, hates bikers, uh, especially those that, that might um, be flying a patch of some sort. But um, but speaking of which, uh, so what he did um, after um, there was this uh, one uh, uh, well-known, well-loved biker by the name of Paul, and Paul was murdered. Uh, we uh, found out, one, he knew that this was going to happen. He literally knew it was going to happen because he had a snitch who was... It's just the um, one I know about? Himself. Yeah, yeah. Have it on camera? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, young man did that. A young man was well, still in oh, his... excuse me. Um, it happened... Technically on camera, it was at uh, the intersection of 589 and uh, and 54 yeah. in Pasco County by the Suncoast Parkway. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he had a snitch that was working with those folks that that murdered Paul, but um, so he goes on television after after this happened because Paul was a he was a a president of a, of a certain motorcycle club, very well known, and um, so Chris Nako goes on television and says, "Oh well, bad things happen to bad people and." And he was that kind of guy, and da 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 da. What he didn't share was that this was a decorated war veteran with a purple heart and and a whole lot of other accolades. He was a he was a husband, he was a father, he was a brother, he was a, a good guy, and many the community loved him. And of course, at the funeral, because the funeral started sounding like it was going to be a gigantic event, which it was. So there were uh, just thousands of people that went to that funeral. So what this guy did was he he. Uh, uh, used his um, his budget to break out all of, all of the cop toys. I mean, literally tanks, and I don't mean which tanks a cop like, shouldn't have. Right? Uh, There's no reason for a local armed, municipality to have that. Yeah, That's the National armored, Guard is the only people that should have armored that. personnel carriers, mm-hmm. um, lots of different types of armored vehicles, helicopters, drones, like you name it. Uh, whatever the military had, man, he put those they on shouldn't display have that. that day. It was weird because I was. I was going home to, uh, for a couple of three days, going back and forth anywhere. If you were on a motorcycle, they were stopping you, shaking you down, the whole thing. But then as I'm going by the parking lot at, um, I think it's Seven Springs and 54, uh, there's a, it used to be a Winn-Dixie there. The whole parking lot is full of APCs, ar- armored personnel carriers and other military-type vehicles. And uh, when, uh, of course, the day of the funeral was insane. It looked as if an invading army was coming to take over our small town. Uh, there were probably just as, uh, well, not just as many, but there was probably one cop for every two people in attendance to the funeral. It was insane. They brought in officers from everywhere. But to, to get to the point of it, um, so Nako's a bad guy. Um, but um, I, I guess what I, what was I trying to get to about that? Um, was uh, What was our last question? No, I, we were talking about... Um, <sighs> We did get off on a bit of a yeah, tangent, sorry. but we, I, I don't. That was a hot button issue for me. <laughs> no, and that's good. I, I want it to be. We were talking about, I was talking about how there's a, there's the, the order of law on of the man rights, and then there's the order oh, yeah. of law that is the God rights that should be in your heart, right? right? And so going back to this thing is that um, when. I said uh, it's a slippery and, and, slope. Uh, we I said it's a slippery slope. Well, and I said it's a slippery. Oh, defunding the police. Defunding the police, we and then about. it was, I said it's a slippery slope to not have police too, so there has to be a conversation gotcha. about so, what their role is. So the defund the police part, I, I use the example of, uh, of Chris Nako in Pasco County, uh, who's a horrible sheriff, but um, the reason that I mentioned him is that the way it works is this. Well, you've got, a, you've got a budget. Every sheriff has a budget. Every police department has a budget. Well, if you don't spend enough money, then you the lose next it. year, yeah. uh, you, you, well, you didn't need that much money, obviously. So, so we're going to put somewhere year, else. We're gonna, uh, you know, you're going to get less money. Yeah. So he used 
Paul's funeral as an excuse to bump up his budget substantially so that he could say, oh, man, I need more money. Look, at, I've got this problem. These bikers are here, and, man, I need more money. So this was a, it was a political move. It was a financial move to pad his pockets. Um, he, he's been investigated more times than I know how to count, but uh, I think he's under investigation right now. But, but anyway, uh, neither here nor there. But my point is, though, is that as opposed to saying, if, even if we could use different words, like as opposed to defund the police, you refund. said reallocate. How about refund? Yeah, refund Re, the police. Not refund. No, refund no, no, the I police. Okay. But the point is. Well, though, I want, our, list, I want it, our listeners that are hearing us. That. I mean, I know you can see the inflection of my sure. voice, but I'm saying re. Fund the police. Let's let's reeducate in every way. Yeah. Refund them. Like give them more education. Give them more psychiatric help. I mean, yeah. the statistics don't lie. You know, failed marriages, of uh, sure. domestic abuse, um, alcoholism. The numbers don't lie. It's very it's very disproportionate in negative in a negative way to, yeah. to most most law enforcement. Well, you know, I'll tell you, one, one of the things is, um, so I was talking to this, uh, this nurse, uh, she's a, a PO, and um, she was telling me, she goes, you know, uh, especially where she works, she works in the ER, mm -hmm. and she says, there is rarely a day that goes by that some guy doesn't come in there, or some person who's whacked out on drugs, who wants to fight and scream and get carried away and be completely belligerent. And she goes, and guess what? We haven't killed not one of them. And that's been the, the case of ER, uh, ER personnel forever. Right. But for some reason, if that same exact person is out in the world somewhere and they're, they're having their mental issues and all like that, the police have one go-to thing, which is, eh, well, we're going to kill them. It, well, let me qualify that. If they're black, they're probably going to get killed. If they're white, it's a toss-up. You know, because the the idea of de-escalating, that's all, that's the only thing that a nurse can do is de-escalate de the situation. Whereas with police officers, they pick and choose when they want to de-escalate a situation. I don't so think... So when it comes yeah. to training, training would address that to some Ab degree. Absolutely. And it's not all police. It's, no, you know, I, I, not yeah, all police, I'm not a police hater. That, what yeah. I'm saying, I, I hate... I hate that we have to have this conversation. Yeah. But we have to have this conversation. Sure. Do you understand sure. what I'm saying? Like yeah. this is important. And yeah. and you know what? It, topically, this goes right back, it falls right in line with everything that we talk about to do with motorcycles. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we we ex a number of us exist on the fringes of what people consider normality. Yeah. And and the social constructs that we have in our social circles that are away from what I would consider a pedestrian, you know, in the yeah, motorcycle sure. community, there's a hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. There is a respect thing. There is, there's rules, right? There's a social Absolutely. order and those social constructs yeah. are, we just, we know what they are. And we yeah. also, here's something that we're really good at in our, in our community. And I know you, you're required to do this because of your association. Um, there is a level of education that occurs. There's there's yep. levels in it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you never touch another man's bike. Right, right. You know, I work in a motorcycle shop. <laughs> I can't tell you how often someone comes in and they just sit on one of my bikes. Now, it's in a showroom. I don't have velvet ropes around it. I don't have signs on it that say, please don't sit on the motorcycles. Yeah. But when someone doesn't say, hey, do you mind? You can sit on my motorcycles in my motorcycle shop. Right. But the people that I wouldn't care if they just sat on it don't. And the people that just don't even 
<laughs> you know, I see him kick. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Uh, the saddlebag on the bike gets kicked because they don't know how to throw their leg over it properly. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And if it's a customer's bike, well, then now I'm responsible for it, yeah. right? So yeah. it's this. So when there's like these social norms that occur in in our social circles, and whether you're in a club or not. They're, they're not that different. Yeah, no, they're really it's not. not. It's, they're just enforced differently or encouraged differently. Well, and they're but, taught um, differently. Well, yeah, yeah. We were t- I was talking with somebody the other day about how important it was when I was growing up that my dad and his friends had Harleys. Yeah. Do you, do you remember your introduction to that? And, I do. In, 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 Mine's a little different, but, well, but let's, I'll tell you. Tell- so what happens is this. Um, so I started a club back in, what was it, uh, 2005. And on day one, it was a sport bike club because my neighbor had a bunch of bikes. Mm-hmm. And um, he wanted to do stuff all the time. Hey, come riding with me. Uh, I'm saying it was the first real club thing. So um, we go riding and we go to a place. And I started noticing how there were certain places, like at Quaker State, certain, say, hey, they, those guys are over there talking in the well, corner. We can't go hang yeah, out. Yeah, you told yeah. that story in the last podcast. Yeah. What I'm saying is, mm-hmm. is like, when well, you when, when you were Harley, a kid... When oh, you were yeah. a kid, mm-hmm. your first introduction to a motorcycle, what what the what I'll that tell you was? What it was my um, my cousin um, my cousin Terrence, um, his mom, uh, her name was uh, Irene, and she wanted to. Uh, well, <laughs> all right, let me not clean it up. Let me say it like I mean it. So Irene was a pretty wild chick, and um, and she hooked up with this uh, this guy that was in a club in uh, in Norfolk, Virginia. And she said, hey, I'm going to go ride with this guy. She jumped on the back of the bike with him, and they rode to California. And she lives in California right now, and it's 2020. That was in the 70s. But, um, but and I was thinking, man, well, I remember thinking not so much, Irene's getting ready to ride on a motorcycle and go God knows where. I was thinking, man, that's a cool motorcycle. Right. And then, of course, everybody's seen Evil Knievel and all like that. And back then, there were all these, all these uh, crazy biker movies. The funny thing was, is that as I'm watching the biker movies, like a lot of stuff, I didn't see anybody look like me. But, you know, as, as a, a child growing up in the 70s, you know, that was not uh, that was not um, uncommon. Yeah. So you just sort of in your brain, you just said, that, well, what if that was me on the bike instead of, you know, like the way the kids might think. Um, so then flash forward. Um, the thing is, just going back to that time. A lot of the guys in my club that have, you know, some of the, the older guys that have been around, you know, they've been in the club for 40, bringing 50 years or whatever. Um, the, their situation was really interesting in the sense that they wanted Harley Davidson's um, comparable to what the white clubs had. But back then, if you were a black guy, you couldn't go to a Harley dealership. If you had all the money in the world, hey, that's a white man's bike and we don't sell that to you. So you had to have your proxy. You had to have uh, your white friend go and buy the motorcycle for you. And then, you know, sometimes for a fee, sometimes not, he would switch the title over to your name or, uh, or the second choice was of course, buy a, used. Find, yeah, buy a used bike from, from a white guy who wanted to sell it and didn't care if he sold it to a black guy or not. So in my club, that's where the first Harley Davidson's actually came from. So originally, even though my club is an American bike only club, now it's 2020. So now that's the rule, but Back in the day, in order to get a Harley, you had to jump through some hoops and all like that. So, yeah, you could, back in the day, you could ride anything because not everything was available to you. It didn't matter how much money you had or didn't have. Right. You know? so, so my experience with Harley uh, was uh, a little different. My, for, now, for, for my club uh, that I'm in now, uh, we're an American bike club. And um, I didn't, uh, on day one, I did not have an American bike. 
and they said, okay, we're going to give you, and this, uh, this was the first time that my chapter ever did something like this. They said, okay, we're going to, because it's you, you know, we're going to let you start here, but you've got this amount of time to get a Harley. And I'm like, geez, you know, I'm under the gun. I got to get a Harley real quick. <laughs> so my first Harley, um, you know, like uh, a lot of bikers, we name our bikes. Our yeah. bikes have names. Yeah. So my bike now is called Anubis, you know, like that's you know, yeah. the, the Egyptian god Anubis. And uh, my other bike is called uh, uh, Dagon uh, uh, Marine One, a.k.a. Big Blue, you know, the, Big old blue bike and that whole thing. Even though we all of our bikes are black. However, my very first Harley was uh, the name of that bike was Compliance. Why? Because I had to get a Harley to be in compliance <laughs> with this club. It didn't matter. They didn't give a damn what kind of Harley it was. It had better been a Harley, and for my own benefit, it needed to be something that I could actually ride, ride and, and do, do some what miles. You to do, you know? Yeah. So, um, so a Sportster wasn't exactly going to get it. I had to get a a big boy bike. So I got the big boy bike, and um, you know I thought that thing was made out of twenty four karat gold, even though it was a twenty four karat turd. Um, but hey, it was I complied. <laughs> well, when I was talking, when I'm talking about social constructs, mm -hmm. um, there's a hierarchy when you're in a club, and I'm familiar with it. I've never been in a club, uh, but I've been around them, yeah. and so I know there's a hierarchy. But what I'm talking about more in 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 that line is that. When things occur in social situations, there's such a thing as these these rules that are they're not necessarily written down, but they're they're taught and they're learned. Yeah. And so it's important that we have have that kind of thing that occurs. Yeah. But we absolutely. also have to look at it's occurred it, it occurs in other social circles too. And I think some of the things that we see happening in the police departments that were that are unfavorable are learned behaviors and not written down somewhere. Do you know yeah, what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. And I think there's some I've good cops. That. I think there's good cops. I think there's bad cops. I think there's good firemen. I think there's bad firemen. I think there's good bikers. I think there's bad bikers. Do you understand what I mean? There's good parents absolutely. and there's bad parents. Oh, yeah. And so we have to strive to, as the, is, is somebody that we both put ourselves out there for public consumption, yeah. There's a certain amount of what we say and what we do that we have to expect is going to not necessarily be construed the way we intend it. And there's going to be some yeah. things that we're going to put out there that people are going to disagree with or chew us up over, yeah. you know, to some degree. And so, you know, we have to be careful with the platform that we use and, and the pulpit that we preach from, from that we are at least believe the bullshit that's coming out of our mouths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I do a... Uh, what do they call it? The, the AA guys call it uh, doing a self inventory, uh, as in like you got to check yourself. Yeah, you know, um, or like if we we're in the eighties, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. yourself. Right. Right. I'm having flashbacks. I'm showing my age, but um, but no, the thing is, man, is um, what I do, I try to do uh, frequently is I check myself on my own bullshit to make sure that uh, you know, as I'm communicating with somebody about whatever the subject is, I want to make sure that. Uh, one, my motivation behind explaining something is proper, but also my information is accurate uh, so that because it, it's real easy. It takes uh, my dad told me years ago, it takes years to build up a reputation and seconds to destroy to it. destroy it. And uh, and by the way, that reputation, it can be a good reputation that you built up or a bad, a bad reputation, reputation that you built up. But it doesn't take that much. But reputations are very fragile. So the way that um, I've elected to protect my reputation is to make sure, hey, if I say a thing, I want people to feel, and a lot of folks do, thank God, 
uh, that they can they can take it to the bank. If I if I said it, man, if I say the, the sky is purple that day, <laughs> hey, most of the folks I know they don't even got to look up because they know for some damn reason the sky is purple today. <laughs> I don't even need to go outside because uh, if Big Bone One Percenter said that thing, but you know the thing is though is that it's because I'm constantly, and this is just a a thing with me. I constantly check what I say because as I communicate with, uh, I wrote an article for. Uh, uh, for uh, Let's Ride, they do a, 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 a email um, newsletter every month. So I wrote this article, and um, what should have took a couple of days took a week because I had to double check, recheck, check again, then read it, spell check, read it, didn't like it, change it, talk to a couple of folks to double check a thing, you know. But the thing is, though, is that the finished product is going to be pretty doggone accurate. Um, and after all of that, guess what? There's still going to be somebody who's going to disagree with me on my take on that. But what they won't be able to say is, yeah, this guy's just a flaming liar. Well, you know? no, that's why I wanted to say that, that when we started out is that, that I, when you say something that, that I'm, a, that I'm diametrically opposed to, I, it, my instant thing isn't with some people, I know that I'm not going to change their mind. Sure. Most people, I'm not going to change their mind. With some people, I can explain where I get, where I derive my opinion. Yeah, how you got there. And they dismiss it. Sure. You've never done that to me. Where we have a conversation, you're like, I see where you're coming from, but have you thought of this, right? Right. And I feel like I can do that to you as well. And so that's what makes, when we talked about earlier when I said, you know, I've never considered difference of opinion or political or politics or religion a reason to withdraw from a friend. Right it's not ever been a reason for me to withdraw from a friend. What it's been, it's been a reason to engage in meaningful dialogue. Right. And it's a reason to listen, to understand, not listen, to respond. Right. 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 And That's so it. you find yourself, you find yourself in a position of authority uh, with the group of individuals that you, that you tie yourself to, to, to ride. Right. right. Yeah. And so there's some, there's some people who come to you for advice. Yeah. There's some people who don't come to you for advice, but they watch you for direction. Yep. And then there's some people that probably don't want either from you, but still fall in line because that's yeah. one of those order of God things where like you've agreed to do this, right? There's commandments right. inside of, of, of the annals of any substantive organization, whether it be Freemasons, whether yeah. it be the Elks Lodge, whether it be the Moose, whether it be a motorcycle club, whether it be a union, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's these constructs that we set up as men that are usually based on Judeo-Christian values, yeah, whether sure. you believe that or not. Right. Well, you know, and that's it. I think uh, what's happened with, uh, with the, the MC community, um, folks, whether they want to believe it or not, th those things are uh, Judeo-Christian ideology and a militaristic way of thinking are very commonplace in the, in the MC community because uh, the original clubs um, way back in the day were were established as a result of these military folks coming back from from fighting a war somewhere. Yeah, and in fact, this camaraderie was it had a lot to do with the article that I that I wrote uh, uh, last night or finished last night. Um, but these folks are coming back from fighting a war, serving time, and now they want that same that same camaraderie. They want that same excitement. They want all of those uh, as much of those same as much of that same atmosphere as they could create uh, without actually having to go to war somewhere with right. whomever. And uh, which is why uh, the, the 
the structure of clubs, there is a, a, a militaristic a, a president and a VP yeah. and a sergeant at arms and so on and so forth. And, and, and you know, so the things are, are very, very similar. And there's folks that are that come from like um, in my club, we attract guys that were that were atheists and Christians and Muslims and um, some of them were Masons and some of them were in a fraternity and all of these different uh, really some of them were criminals who just got out of prison. You know, I did uh, a double nickel or, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And the thing that we the thing that's common is, well, two things that are common. One this uh this infatuation and love for motorcycles but two the camaraderie or what we call in marine corps the esprit de corps that goes along with having a band of brothers who mm -hmm. uh and it's it's a really cool thing like to know that you're running around with somebody who you know yeah we're having a beer right now but if things go south i've got somebody who's gonna back me up who will catch a bullet for me and maybe even give one out uh, just for me but a lot of the stuff is not about about you know bar fights and all like that. It's about the regular day to day. It's Tuesday and and my car broke down and I'm stuck on 275 or or damn it I'm broke. I lost my job because of COVID and and uh, I'm having a rough time with my rent this month. Hey, don't worry, we got you. Um, it's one of those sort. It create. It's the environment that's that we elect to be a part of. That the the payoff because everything has a payoff no matter what you do. There's always there's a there's a reason why you do something, and that reason is payoff. The payoff in the motorcycle club community is that that brotherhood. Mm -hmm. like we used to tease uh, a guy named Highway, uh, who's uh, uh, made a bunch of music. He did a uh, made a bunch of biker music that's that still played very prevalently throughout the entire country. But one of the things he talked about was the three Ps. He goes, that's, he says, well, three Ps. That's the reason why someone would join a motorcycle. Uh, he goes, that's the reason some folks. Join the motorcycle, motorcycle club, club, right? I said, well, what's, what are the three P's? He said, well, the three P's are pussy, power, and protection. He goes, most of those guys, if if uh, they're coming to my club for the three P's, I'm not that interested in them. Yeah. Uh, he goes, because, you know, like uh, the pussy part, hey, if you can't get a girl, like if you have to be in a certain club to get laid, eh, maybe that's not uh, the club maybe, for you. Maybe this ain't the place for you. Right. The power thing, guess what? Most of most of my brothers are alpha males in their own right before they even thought yeah, about coming we, to this Yeah, we, you know? our, in our group, we, we, we call them silverbacks. We've got a couple yeah, of dudes yeah. that I hang out with that you can just see it in them. Yeah. That they, when the shit already, goes down, that you're not there. going to get that man to stand down. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and then the protection part, if you need to come to us for protection, then you're obviously not the right mind yeah. to be with Because that means you're going to create... Yeah. A, my club, um, we, we say this all the time, we don't... We don't um, find a guy and turn him into a one percenter. We find like-minded individuals, and um, if if it's a match, then hey, we just show you. Here's how we do it. Yeah, and um, and and you're gonna you know, have to put in some time. That brother has a, a home and a family, but but you're absolutely right. But and, and it's gonna take a minute before we figure out if you're that guy or not. You know, but we ain't gonna turn you into that either. You are, you or you ain't. I and I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that in every situation that's ever been presented to a man. Yeah. Ever. Um. I'll, Give you a, an easy one, marriage. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like it's marriage Did you is the just hard. Say that marriage was easy. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I'm saying it's an easy one to. It's a. It's an easy line to draw is because yeah. some people are not cut out for it, oh, and, yeah, the, and sure. it's okay. Sure. Like yeah. there's there's men out there that are serial monogamists. They're just not good yeah. marriage material. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for whatever reason, when that when that happens, like me, I thoroughly enjoy being married. Like yeah. I. I just do. I've been married for a very long time, gotcha. uh, over ha over half my life. Okay. I've been married now, and so 
it's just kind of what I do and it's who I do it with. And it's like, you know, but I, and I don't look at single dudes and be like, Oh man, dude, that was so much. My wife lets me go where I want to go. lets me do what I want to do. There's no trust issues because if there was, I couldn't, if, if she didn't trust me, right. I would have a problem with that. You understand what I'm saying? So with your club brothers, if they don't trust you, then you, I think I'm not speaking yeah. for you. I you have. Yeah, I think I I'd have to have a problem with that. Oh yeah. This has to be. I don't. I shouldn't have to have a rearview mirror on my motorcycle to know that you're behind me. Right. Do you understand right. what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like there has to be some sort of uh, of a line that that you don't go out of. Instead right. of a line that you don't cross. Yeah. There needs to be a line that you don't go out of. Right. There's a thing on my uh, on my Facebook or one of those things, and it goes. Um, it goes on, and I actually have a picture. I made a meme a long time ago, and then next thing you know, it kind of shot around the world because I ain't no meme maker guy. I just <laughs> had a thing on my phone, and I was like, "I'll oh, get you an app." Cool. <laughs> right, right. It's, but it was it was kind of cool. And what it is is um, it's a bunch of my brothers uh, riding somewhere, and uh, they're all doing this, and um, you know, with the middle finger in the air kind of a thing. And it was a cool picture. But what I noticed in that picture was something that we do a lot, which is when we're on the interstate, you know. And so what the meme said was. 90 miles an hour and three feet apart is how my club builds trust. Yeah. And, man, that thing hit like an atom bomb because folks are like, man, that's so cool. That's so right. And da, da, da. But it's true because what happens is when you've done something so much that it becomes muscle memory, <clears throat> then you don't have to. And I've had many bros tell me, like, we were riding back from uh, friggin' somewhere. We are riding back from somewhere, and the weather's bad, and it's raining, and you can't see that much. And the, the brother that was behind me, I was in uh, in front of the pack. I was like the second uh, second uh, row or whatever. Anyway, uh, the guy behind me was saying, man, that was really rough. And this, that, another thing, da, 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 the rain, this, that, another thing. I'm like, man, could you see? He goes, man, he goes, I didn't need to see shit. He says, the only thing I needed to see was your tail Tail light. He goes, if I see your tail light and the guy behind me can see mine, then I'm good. Yeah. As in, he's like, I know as long as I do that, I'm okay. You're not going to screw me over and I'm not going to screw him over. Yeah. That's the way we get down. And I also think that you have to take your hit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you get hit, you if you're going to get hit, you got to take your hit. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. I've pop. done it. I've done it. Before. You got to take it. Yeah. It, it's like if, if, and I've seen that, oh God, more, well, not so much the hit. I know but you I've mean. seen guys put themselves, um, quite literally in harm's way to make sure that those other 60 guys are, are, are okay. I've seen it just so many, practically every time we go on, on a, on like some sort of a big troop troop movement, uh, when we go on a big ride, uh, I've seen it just so many That's why I'm so hesitant to ride with people that I don't know. Like I've got a couple dudes I ride with and we can go handlebar to handlebar and it's, it's just, I'm okay with it. Like I I trust them. I, but here's the thing. I trust them that they're not going to, that they're going to take their hit. Yes. And I trust them if I take mine, they're going to stop. Right. You know right. what I mean? And they're going to conduct themselves in a manner which is conducive to getting me whatever help I need and me them. Right. right? And that goes right. back to your saying where you have people that you know would take a bullet for you and send one for you too. And, yeah. and, and that's that's a metaphor, but it's not a metaphor. Right. You understand right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. you know, and, and I know I'm talking to you about that. And then yeah, people, you know, true. some people listen and I don't. I feel bad for people who don't have friends like us. Right. And I'm not saying like I'm this great friend. What I'm saying is I certainly try to be. Yeah. yeah. Right. I have my friends, uh, best, uh, best, um, not best wishes, but, but best, what is the word I'm looking for? Well, no, my intentions, 
I, I have their uh, uh, whatever's best for them. I have that in mind, oh, yeah. right? You know, whatever the, the whatever right. the case may be. I'm trying to think of that word. Yeah, too. I know. It's like it's lost on me. I, I had earlier today too. I was trying to think of the word corrosive, and I couldn't think of the word corrosive. Yeah. But <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, I'm not at a loss for words very often. But you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like no, you know, I, I want to make sure that the situation that they're in, I'm, I'm care and concern and, and caution for them as My well. My brother. Um, so I'm going to mention two guys. So there's uh, there's uh, wise who. Uh, well, two things. So uh, Wise says this thing uh, all the time. Brotherhood is a burden. And he goes, uh, a, bro- a true brotherhood is where you want for your brother just as much or more happiness as you want for yourself. And when he gets it, you're legitimately happy. Happy. And then uh, with Fishtail, uh, when you were talking about riding bar to bar, man, uh, and this used to trip people out. Was we had probies, you know, prospects or whatever. And... um. So it would be me, Fishtail, and uh, maybe a few hangarounds and so forth. And um, they would watch us go from point A to point B, whether we're on the interstate or in the city or whichever. <clears throat> and we would communicate. Uh, we would do all the same stuff. With uh, We wouldn't like yell at each other or anything like yeah. that. I could look at him, give him a head twist or this, that, or the other thing, or hit my gas a certain way. He's not even going to look at me or and vice versa. I know exactly what he's doing. I don't even have to look. I know what he's doing. And people go, man, how the hell do you do that? that and I go, man, you know, it's that, an eight. Yeah. It comes with a lot of a lot miles. Of... And when you're genuinely connected with, with that guy and that's my brother and I know how he thinks and he knows how I think. And you know, that's, so we get down like that. So no matter what the situation, whether, whether his old lady's giving him a hard time or whether uh, I'm with a flat tire somewhere or, or whatever it is, man, I got you. And, and it, it's, it's cyclical. It goes both ways. Yeah. Um, you know, if I also I wanted to because I scribbled it down. I was going to go back to the, this the, when we were talking about um, about Biden and guns and that whole thing. Um, I'll tell you what I was thinking about that because it kind of jumped back in my head. Um, so the whole thing, and this is my whole, and I'm, I'm going to sound like one of them QAnon folks for a second. But the the truth is this: is that I've been hearing that uh, this Democrat or that Democrat or the other Democrat uh, for 40, 50 years, I've been hearing they're going to take our guns. Um, but what I learned is, and actually the first one that hit me to it was a friend of mine in, uh, up north who owns a gun shop. He is a uh, dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, but when you go into his, uh, in his gun store, he's got the big Confederate flag and all this old kind of stuff and all like that. And, um, and he goes, hey, he goes, that's for the customers. It makes them feel that I'm their guy. And, and he's got all of this. Uh, he's got like the NRA books and all, all this kind of stuff. But what he does is he says, uh, he pointed out under... Democratic presidents, the NRA, uh, which is a, a huge part of the gun lobby, right? They bump their sales up substantially by preaching to the masses that'll listen. Hey, this Democratic pre- president's going to take away your guns. But I've heard it come out of their. I've the seen room. it come out of their mouths. I, I, oh, I yeah. actually, you know, he said, oh, "You're going to take the guns." Bingo it was his exact well, words. So he wants to take AK-47s off the street. Yeah. So do I. I don't want anyone that is an asshole to have a car. You know what I believe with uh, with and I but Kamala Harris has put more people in jail under mm-hmm. laws of disparity than anybody who has ever yeah. ran for a major office like that. Well, I'll and tell of you, dude with uh, with uh, with Biden, honest to goodness, what I believe because I, I actually saw it um, for a lot of years while while he was a senator. I saw it while he was a vice president because uh, Barack Obama's thing about guns was uh, sensible gun legislation. He wasn't really trying to take it. Even though uh, gun sales were tremendous during the eight years he was a president, 
Uh, and of course, after he wasn't, gun sales went down. Then after COVID started, uh, then gun sales went back up because you know the zombies were going to come and kill us and all that kind of thing. But um, but what happens is we're idiots. I mean, <laughs> as a human being race, we do some yeah, idiotic we're, things. We're, we, we get uh, we're very malleable and and, oh, yeah. and manipulated manipulated. So. Um, that sheeple thing. I hate that expression, but it applies. <sighs> it but does. I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I believe with um, with Joe Biden, he said what he said to appeal to a certain to a certain part of his base who are like, man, you know, they're, they're anti-gunners. The thing is, is that in America, there's not enough of them to really make any sort of substantial change. The support's just not ever going to be there. And I, I won't say that he won't make a dent, but the, the folks uh, historically in the United States of America who uh, gun, gun, gun laws uh, initially started in this country after slavery, and that was uh, in, in, the, in the South during the Jim Crow era. The mm -hmm. thing was, hey, these black folks who were former slaves, we don't trust you to have guns, so you're not allowed to have guns. So that was the first, that was the first example of, of gun control in the United States. Um, and that, you know, that went until uh, the civil rights movement and, and uh, laws were changed slowly. Like some of these laws were just taken off the books within my lifetime. Right, mine too. not that long yeah. ago. Um, the other thing was, Believe it or not, the most major uh, gun control legislation in American history actually didn't come from Democrats at all. And, um, and I don't mean the old Democrats. I mean like the Democrats now. And, and that was from Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was at the time Governor Reagan of California. And he had issues with the, uh, he had issues about the Black Panthers because the Black Panthers were, uh, were sick and tired of seeing police officers come and beat and kill um, um, black folks throughout uh, throughout the, the communities like in Oakland and different parts of California, right. and they realized that the laws on the books were for you could open carry, you could carry a weapon to protect yourself or to transport it from point A to point B or whichever. So they started carrying weapons. That's why you've seen the pictures of yeah. black panthers in the street with rifles and all this kind of stuff. Well, what that came, or well, that's from whence it came. And uh, after having stopped several police. Um, incidents where the police were either beating up a guy or killing a guy or the police wanted to come and beat up a guy or kill a guy. They were very corrupt. And so the answer to that was uh, the, the media was like, oh, my gosh, you know, black folks running around with guns and they're doing bad stuff. I never so felt Reagan, bad about those pictures. Like, like well, those pictures yeah. didn't create any kind of fear in me. Well, at the time, at the time. And I know that they would well, to some people, but not when me. It was. I at do. At the time, it was terrifying for white folks in California, especially when the media is saying, <laughs> Saying, hey, I've never these, been terrified black of black people. That's just, house. I guess, I guess there's something wrong that with Detroit me. In you? I don't you know. know. I just never been. That's not how I operate. Well, see, that's why you would have made a good cop because uh, the the problem with a lot of cops is um, they see a guy that looks like their cousin, and hey, I'm going to talk to that guy. Man, he's having a rough day. Let's let me talk him down. He sees a black kid who's whether he's 16 or 55, and he sees a 800 pound gorilla with 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 foaming at the teeth with that's half vampire because his eyes are red and that it doesn't matter who it is. You know, Tamir Rice comes to mind. He was a little kid and they killed him dead and he was just a little kid. Um, but, but going back to Sing, so uh, in California, so uh, Ronald Reagan enacted the first uh, gun, the first uh, considerable gun control measures in the United States uh, by in our modern era, Yeah, yeah. in our modern era because of the, uh, because of the black Panthers. Now uh, flash forward, Ronald Reagan again, so Ronald Reagan gets shot, and um, Ronald Reagan didn't die, but James Brady, the Secretary of State, did. So what do we get out of that? The Brady, the Brady Bill. Bill. So Nancy Reagan. Uh, now again, uh, Ronald Reagan was uh, sort of like Frankenstein. You could 
burn him, kill him, shoot him. <laughs> you know, he wasn't going to die. He was, you know, he's, he's on autopilot. Right. But, um, but he, so he didn't die. But in, in homage of James Brady, because otherwise, if Ronald Reagan had died, it would have been the Reagan bill. But anyway, so the Brady bill was the first thing. Uh, it was started with Reagan, but it was uh, ultimately enacted under Bill Clinton. But that was with huge bipartisan support because somebody shot Ronald Reagan. Right. So now the gun laws that we're dealing with now, the three-day waiting period, and uh, they put a restriction on capacity for magazines and all of this stuff, all of those things were done primarily by Republicans in response to somebody shot Ronnie. And, you know, of course, Ronald Reagan is there's literally a group of Republicans that refer to themselves. I'm a Reagan Republican. So yeah, well, I'm a Reagan Kennedy Democrat. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. OK, exactly. I, but, you know, that's what I'm saying is that that's from whence it came. So now, um, for some reason, for political, well, obviously for political reasons, um, and I thought it was done very masterfully, uh, the Republican Party switched and said, hey, those guys want to take your guns. There's there's a Democratic uh Senators and congressmen and governors who are in the South. NRA that, members. Yeah, that are NRA members, ain't trying to take nobody's gun. I don't trust, I just don't trust career politicians. Yeah. Uh, me, so, me either. Let's, let's, uh, we're, this is, we're at, we're at an hour 30, and I wanna, I wanna keep these at about 90 minutes, but I do wanna right. wrap up with it and just say that, so just so you know where I'm coming from on that, that I don't, I'm not a Trump fan. I am a fan of Trump being president because. I said it four years ago that he will expose every weakness that we have as a country and it will be people will self exploit. Yeah. And he has on both sides. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of piss poor decision making by a lot of pedestrians in the last four years. Sure. There's been a lot of name calling and a lot of dis dis uh what is the right word? Well, the people are well, yeah, but I'm saying that where there's not discourse, there's just been absolute disagreements and sure. And, and I, I think that if we take anything away from it, we made a fucking, it was a, it was a, uh, popularity contest. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't look at it like that. The brevity of it is much, much more important than, than what it is. And, you know, I don't, I just want, I, I want you to know that I appreciate and respect your opinion. Right on, and when you, you post something, <laughs> I look at it and, and, and I try to unpack it because I, at the very least, even if I disagree with you, I want to know why. Got it. You know, and I think what happens is, and, and I appreciate hearing that. I do. Cause I feel the same exact way. I, I watch your stuff like a, like a freaking crackhead or something. <laughs> I do. But, um, I'll tell you that the thing is, is that, uh, and, um, I, this part of what I was saying about checking myself, I will post something and realize I was feeling some kind of way um, when I posted it, or I was angry about a thing. And, and I um, take it down a couple hours folks, later. Yeah, so, some folks love it, and you know I get the like, hell yeah, and I'm with you. And then other people go like, whoa, whoa, you know, like like angry much? And I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, um, you know, I was having a moment, and you know, or or a beer or a tequila, probably <laughs> tequila, tequila uh, which I um, lovingly refer to as the truth serum. It's like I I purposely hide my phone when uh, when the doggone um when the, I hide my phone if I'm having uh, more than three shots of tequila. That's but, a um, good rule. Yeah, it's a it's a great rule. And um, matter of fact, let me see. Um, what is, what is my oh I'm trying to figure out what my doggone um Instagram was. I don't know that stuff. Uh, okay, there it is. It's bone O F F O. 
So that's the Instagram. If you guys want to see some truly disturbing stuff, all right. <laughs> but, um, then uh, what's the? Uh, oh wait, okay. Wait, hey, I'll plug myself. Okay, yeah. so Instagram is uh, bone underscore OFFO or or no underscore whatever bone OFFO, and then the uh, what is the Facebook? The Facebook is um, something like it might be the same thing. It's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, yeah bone <laughs> OFFO. I think yeah. And Something I'm Speed like Metal Built on Instagram, and we're probably going to put. Uh, I'm probably going to put a page together that you and I both have access to. The Usual right. Suspects right for on. the podcast. I'm excited about so, that. No, this is and cool. Then the this name is... is just that's just a heck of a great name. I think that's us. If anyone asks me, I'm going to just tell them that I invented it. That's fine. Yeah. Hey, you. But then they'll listen to this no. and realize that I lied. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you know. they'll listen to it. So. Um, Thank you for having me out to your house, dude. Man, We're going to do this every month. Thank you very and, much. Uh, yeah, and so go to uh, Instagram and check out um, Big Bone, O-F-F-O. Yeah. No, I think I think it's just Bone O-F-F-O. Bone O-F-F-O. Bone O-F-F-O on Instagram. I'm Speed Metal Built on Instagram. You can follow uh, me also on my podcast page for the Garageville Podcast. And uh, this is episode one of the Usual Sussex Podcast with uh, with myself and my buddy, Big Bone One Percenter. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. All right. You have been listening to the Power Wheels Podcast with your host, Jason Coleman. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>